Welcome everyone to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast, episode 47. I'm your host for Dr. Roman Men, Duncan Joyce. I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H bark in show business. It's Mr. Kyle Cambry. Oh, it's so good to be back. We're going to cause a bit of havoc in this episode and I'm looking forward to going through what we've got in store. I can imagine we are, Kyle. We chose probably the busiest period in wrestling and well in british life to go for a break yeah i don't know if we can possibly cram all this in but let's try and do our usual catch up talk to me about one thing that's happened in your life and one thing that's happened in wrestling that you've enjoyed since we've been away like you say there's a there's a lot to get through there big thing in life i think currently we're at a good point in life in general you know i've been in the house nearly three years work's going all right stressful as it is it's going all right ordered a new car with a triple h license plate exciting (laughs) (laughs) do you know the best thing about that is that isn't even a joke (laughs) so what you didn't arrange that it just happened it had to be arranged however Oh, <laughs> it would have been quite cool if it was just coincidental. But no, they said to me, like, you can choose, you know, your own license plate. This is what we've got. And just right there, popping out, it was like three H's. Right, I'll have that one, please. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that sort of life in general. A lot of filming stuff coming up over the next few months. I'll be on Coronation Street next week. Oh! Which is quite exciting, with a speaking role as well. Oh, man! I get to say a few lines, I'm a hotel manager. I get to finally arrive on the Coronation Street cinematic universe. Kyle, as the lad who played the innkeeper once in our nativity at the Oaks, I can only say, I am proud of you, my man. (laughs) Thank you. Keep our legacy alive. (laughs) Yeah, so that sort of personal life with wrestling, I'm really, really enjoying the bloodline stuff with Sami Zayn. I think week in, week out, he just steals the show. Seeing sort of his promos that he's doing and the way that he just breaks the other characters, you know, Roman pisses himself, you know, (laughs) Jay and Jimmy end up pissing themselves. And, like, it's hilarious because you... You've got no idea this level that he gets to and the other guys just can't keep with him. It's brilliant. As much as I kind of bemoaned Solo turning up and screwing over Drew at the Castle show and thinking, does the bloodline really need one more guy in it? Yeah. Honorary Oos Sami Zayn is absolute gold. He's brilliant. And then anything outside of WWE, A-Dub. Yeah, they've got some good stuff, but I, I think it's bubbling backstage. Jesus effing Christ. I mean, what a shambles to blooming cart punk out of there, seemingly. Yeah. I went to 
finally meet my in-laws in person for the first time over the summer. Oh, wow. And we stopped off for a weekend trip to Chicago beforehand. And I went around Chicago one day with my CM Punk shirt on. And like, oh, chose an interesting time to do this, but at least it's a safe place. I, <laughs> I, I couldn't resist. Yeah. We went into the MCA and one of the helpers or whatever spotted me. And he's like, psst, psst, like the shirt. Like it's a big secret or something. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, that's my life thing. We went not only to meet family for the first time, but to get some more of Kathy's stuff so she could make our brand new house feel more like home. Lovely. The pictures look really nice. Oh, it's tremendous. Like, the lounge is really, really good. We've gone for very warm and vibrant colours and it literally makes the lounge look way warmer and I keep having to pop my head around and thinking, can I leave the light on? No, it's just the walls. It's fine. <laughs> and then in wrestling, my favourite thing I think has been the Brawling Brutes and the Imperium feud. Yes, very good. Gunther and Seamus had an all-out classic at Clash at the Castle. Everything I could have wanted from that match, really. And you think about how much of a decorated career Seamus has had. That is still the pinnacle of it. And that should speak volumes about how well it came off. Yeah, and I think the crowd reaction just showed that, didn't it? Right, you know, at the end. Yeah, and it's basically turned the brute's face. Like, the reception to that match... Yeah, that's just carried over and transitioned over. And then that six-man Donnybrook that they had at Extreme Rules was also rather brilliant. Yep. I will have a brief moan. You know how the Brawling Brutes are making their entrance and the White Rabbit turned up? Yeah. And it, like, glitched out on the screen like it was, like, not meant to be there. And the minute that happened, my network cut out and said, you don't have network connection now. I'm like... (laughs) Fucking Bray Wyatt <laughs> robbing me of this ace match. Can we touch on Bray Wyatt just a second? I think the way that they've brought him back has been incredible. So I've only seen his re-debut at Extreme Rules. It seems like there's some interesting stuff going on and the whole like viral campaign has been going really well. It got a big pop and lots of people are talking about it online. There's supposedly this new guy in WWE's media strategy division or something that came up with this. And yeah, it's been well received from the sounds of it. Yeah, I just think that it's something fresh and something new. The QR codes, it's something really simple, but it's just something that hasn't been really thought of of putting it on tv and then one of the first smackdowns where they originally started this campaign when the audience started to go back out after the show had finished there were all white rabbits on everyone's cars and i just thought like it's just a really cool you know simple thing to do and it just keeps the investment there oh you're okay kyle you cut out yeah i'm good it must be the connection um yeah i'm still here Oh my god, he's breaking <laughs> your internet. <laughs> no. Oh god, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> if it was the internet, man, I would be pissed. 
I think we should swiftly move away from yeah. White Rabbit Bray Wyatt. Yeah. <laughs> All right, on to our topic of the day. We're back with another edition of the Tape Trader Diaries. And true to owning videotapes, we've gone on fast forward and we've gone from the first pay-per-view of the Alliance Invasion to the final pay-per-view of the Alliance Invasion. It's WWF Survivor Series 2001. It took place on November 18th, 2001 from the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. 10,142 fans in attendance. I thought the building looked way bigger than that. Yeah, it did. It, it was quite strange looking around and seeing that attendance. Testament to how well it was shot, really, then. Mm. 450,000 fans were watching at home via pay-per-view. This was a show that Kyle taped for me. There was no way that I was going to miss the WWS existence being on the line. (laughs) 12-year-old me was sat there looking at this angle and thinking, well, Smackdown just bring it's coming out in a couple of weeks. The WWF can't go out of business, surely. (laughs) The WWF's presence on Channel 4 was rapidly shrinking. It's around about just after SummerSlam, they got kicked off of T4 and they had a late night slot that I would have to record and watch the next day instead. I think the last angle I can remember tuning in for, like actually live on the TV, was the night after SummerSlam and Kurt Angle did the Melkomania running wild, cold milk and cookies for Kurt Angle. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. So I was clinging to every bit of the WWF that I could, which was another reason I asked to borrow this from Kyle. Kyle, what were your thoughts going into this show? What were you excited about? Quite similar to you. Survivor Series has always been quite an exciting pay-per-view for me. I really like the idea of elimination tags. So I was looking forward to the main event and seeing how that would play out. Or who who might be fired, who might not be fired. Is this the last time I'm going to see the Hardy Boys? Or is this the last time I'm going to see the Dudleys? Or, you know, that that was sort of my thing coming into this of, oh my God, I've got to watch this because this might be the last time I get to watch one of these guys. (laughs) Yeah, it's very easy to see how this was going to go in hindsight. But as a fan, just a touch of anxiety in there. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, like, look at our age at that time of course we were fully invested in the no spoilers sort of idea around it whereas now looking back we can sort of shit on it a bit and be like oh god (laughs) one other footnote here do you remember that really chavvy guy that won the lottery right around this time yes so he went on gmtv the Monday morning after he won the lottery, and he was talking about, oh, we were up late last night, we were watching the wrestling. I'm like, no, don't spoil Survivor Series. (laughs) Thankfully, he behaved, which is a lot more than I can say for his later life, because I believe he got arrested and got bankrupt or something. Drugs and and all sorts, yeah. Oh, boy. Very quick downfall. (laughs) Well, let's have a little preview of what's coming up by taking a look at Sunday Night Heat before the show aired. We're about to go through the perils of what happens when you're six months between recording because, Kyle, in between us 
organising our notes for this and actually recording this, the episode of Sunday Night Heat before the show has actually been delisted from Daily Motion. Oh, got it. I'll talk you through what was going on, don't you worry. Okay. They opened with a video package of the main event. Now, one thing to note is the theme song for the show is a song by Puddle and Mud called Control, and that's edited out of the pay-per-view on the network, but holy shit, Puddle and Mud are all over this episode of Sunday Night Heat. (laughs) Michael Cole and Al Snow are our hosts. They sit up in the bleachers. We've then shown a clip of Edge appearing at Rob Zombie's concert three weeks ago to introduce Rob Zombie playing Edge's theme song. Yeah, Madurango, Mambo 95! (laughs) Al speculates that Christian must be very jealous of his brother for this. We also got the Booker T Chef Boyardee commercial, which makes it canon that Chef Boyardee's Beefaroni inspired Booker T's Spinneroni. I tell you what, adverts in those days. Well, no, do you know what? Adverts in general that are based around wrestling are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so, because Sunday Night Heat was a little bit of a magazine show when it was on Channel Four, we'd sometimes get vignettes about wrestlers shooting these Chef Boy ID commercials and like what is Chef Boy ID? What is this? This doesn't really mean anything to me. <laughs> the WWF Super Smash of the Week sponsored by Crash Wrath of Cortex on the PlayStation 2. <laughs> Great game. It's Booker T and Rob Van Dam wrestling The Undertaker including Van Dam flying off the Titantron and pinning The Undertaker to win the match. We then get clips of another thing that has been erased from the WWF network. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock's sing-along that closed out Raw on Monday. They were always good, the sing-alongs. They were full of it here. It was funny hearing Michael Cole hype this as the tense first face-to-face since WrestleMania. (laughs) And then Austin just like, (laughs) Rock sang the gambler and it was actually kind of decent. He asked Austin, that make you feel any better? And Austin just replies, I feel like crap. (laughs) They then settle on a duet of Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Austin was like, anyone who's anybody knows who Jimmy Buffett is. I guess I'm a nobody then. Oh, fucking hell. Austin thinks I'm a nobody. (laughs) Rock, rock, bottoms him at the end. Kurt Angle tries to run out, but Chris Jericho makes the save and runs off the heels. The Rock turns his back on Chris Jericho, showing that he trusts Jericho. These two were in a really bitter feud at the minute because Rock is the WCW champion and has actually nobody with any credibility from WCW to feud with. Yeah. The WWF Slam of the Week with PlayStation 2 was the Hardy Boys winning the tag team titles on that same episode of Raw. Michael Cole then promotes Puddle of Mud and he mixes up which teams have which titles in the tag title unification match. There's a lot of this going on. Oh, Michael. No wonder Bailey's got an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Nuke Michael Cole? Eh, he gotta nuke something. (laughs) Al hypes up, there's the six-pack challenge match for the women's title, and the Alliance has a mystery entry into that match. Next up, we get clips of 
one of the all-time great go-home promos for a pay-per-view. It is Paul Heyman confronting Vince McMahon on SmackDown on Thursday night. Holy shit. Yeah, very good. A masterclass. You need to go out and watch this if you haven't done so already. He's just brilliant. He hates Vince's guts. He became a billionaire off his ideas. Wow, doink for clown! Had green hair and a rubber nose! Steve Austin drank his first beer in ECW, damn you! Vince's children will get even with him at Survivor Series and then berates Taz for being a bad commentator and a sports entertainer when he was once a great wrestler in ECW. That leads to Taz choking out Heyman with the Taz mission. And Vince says it's appropriate because at Survivor Series, the Alliance will choke. We then get an advert for the MTV Sports and Music Festival, which is shown immediately after Heat. So it's direct competition with Survivor Series. (laughs) It's Ozzy Osbourne, the Crystal Method, and our friends Puddle of Mud once again. They're soundtracking alternative sports live. So I think it's like extreme snowboarding, skateboarding and things like that. And there's the band soundtrack it as it goes along. Oh, that's cool. Cole and Al then start talking about Tough Enough 2 auditions, which happened that week in Caesar's Palace. Harco Holly, Chavo Guerrero, Ivory and Al Snow are the coaches. This cues Christian coming out and confronting Snow about saying he was jealous. He feels sorry for all the Tough Enough kids learning from the biggest loser in the WWF. So Al challenges him for his European title. And Christian's like, give me 15 seconds, I'll be ready. We've then got clips of The Rock partying with Bill Gates playing WWF Raw on Xbox in WWF New York on Wednesday for the launch (laughs) of the Xbox. We didn't get the Xbox in Europe until May the next year. Well, at least it's sort of entwined now, isn't it? Everything seems to be all at once. Yeah, now the consoles are just out of stock everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Next is clips of the Jericho and Rock versus Austin and Angle tag team match from SmackDown on Thursday night. The match got thrown out when the heels tried to injure the Rock's ankle with a chair. Undertaker made a save that queued all of the main eventers coming out and trading finishes. You've probably seen this on Twitter go viral about two or three times a year. It's like, one of the all-time great show-closing angles on SmackDown because it's just everybody hitting the good moves. It ends on Austin hitting the stunner on The Rock. Him and Vince have like a stare down with Vince stood on the ramp and Austin and Vince are smiling at each other. Our main event of Sunday Night Heat is a six-man tag team match. From the WWF, it's Spike Dudley, Scotty Too Hotty, and the hip-hop hippo, Albert! Yes! <laughs> the hip-hop hippo. They're taking on, from the Alliance, Raven, Just Incredible, and Lance Storm. Scotty got worked over, but then a top-rope nothing let him tag Albert in. Dodgy spot where he forces a kiss on Terry, and then he gorilla presses her onto Just Incredible outside, and then hits a sit-out gorilla press on Lance Storm for a near fall. Spike tagged in and dived off Albert's shoulders onto Lance Storm. Then it ends with a finisher buffet. 
Storm finally takes advantage by super kicking Spike to get Team Alliance the win in 5 minutes and 20 seconds. Not much of a match, it just boiled down to a parade of finishes at the end. What was kind of cool at the end, just incredible, Lance Storm did the old Impact Players pose from when they were a tag team in ECW. Yeah. They then close the show with the video package for the main event, played in full this time. There's a line in the song where it's like, there's no expression on your face, and then they show Kane. <laughs> Anything you gutted you missed from there, Kyle? No, I think I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, onto the show itself. And we open up with black and white shots of WWF legends with classic WWF clips set to the end, which was the previous year's Armageddon theme. It then covers a lot of very similar ground to the invasion opening. It's like, can you pretend that the last four months haven't happened and just <laughs> be excited about this show, please? On commentary, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. I have a real love of this design for Survivor Series, you know, with the massive one being the central eye in Survivor. No, I agree with that. I like that. How do you think this invasion has been going, Kyle? At the time, I was quite worried. WCW going to sort of win here. Looking back, I'm like, oh, fuck. Why was I ever worried? <laughs> <laughs> As somebody who used to watch WCW week to week, I was majorly disappointed about how it all turned out and how basically the WWF's heels just all went and joined the Alliance. Pretty much just keeping in with the heel mentality of, oh, well, if you're going to have WWF as faces, we're going to have to go to WCW. <laughs> right. A bunch of the storylines, just something about it just made me feel really uneasy. So I was kind of relieved that they're kind of winding it up here and like, things could get back to normal, hopefully. Yeah. Our opening match, as set up on Heat earlier... It's for the WWF European Championship. The WWF's Al Snow is taking on from the Alliance the champion, Christian! Christian! At last, you're on your own! <laughs> he eventually betrayed Edge. We saw him at the invasion being very pally with his King of the Ring trophy and that jealousy led to him splitting up with Edge and eventually joining the Alliance. Kyle, talk to me about Christian as a solo act. We give a lot of love for Edge on this podcast, but I don't think we really mention Christian that much. No, he's a workhorse for me. He does a lot of good stuff that sort of doesn't get appreciated. A lot of that, I mean, it's not Edge's fault, but I think a lot of that is because they put the spotlight on Edge so much, you sort of see Christian hidden in the shadows, sometimes even doing a little better work in the early days, especially, all-round work. I've always been a big fan of Christian. It's just you could see the potential of Edge, and Edge, when he got the rocket strapped to his back, he just went for it. I can understand that, yeah. I've been binge-watching some Broken School sessions. Austin only jokes about, Oh, dog damn kid, I only got four moves. 
And growing up, I kind of felt that way about Christian. Like, I was thinking about working through some matches with my action figure of him. Like, what moves does Christian do? And I kind of confused that for him not being very versatile when really the opposite was true. He's a very smart guy in terms of how match layouts should go and one thing that I really really enjoyed was his ECW run in 2009. Yeah. Because yeah. he just got to put on a really great and enjoyable match every single week and he got to work as a babyface solo act which he hadn't really done before and that opened him up a little bit and you know, he got to have a, a different dynamic with the crowd that I really liked. Yeah, like you say, he, some of his runs people forget about and it's not often talked about because whenever you think of Christian, you also think of Edge. Yeah, people tend to forget about him unless it's AEW fans trying to clown on Edge. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Kyle, I'm going to play a little game with you here. Uh-oh. I'm going to take advantage of our position of skipping from the start point to the end point of the invasion. I'm going to do this for all of the mid-card titles. So, when we last left things off, Matt Hardy was the European champion. Can you remember who beat Matt Hardy for the European title? I've got two in my head, and that time sort of blurs between the two. That's exactly why we're playing this game, Kyle. Right, well, it's either Bradshaw or the Hurricane. Oh, you're so close! <laughs> it is the Hurricane, yes! The Hurricane, right. Yeah. I was going to say, because, go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never guess who beat the Hurricane for the European title, Kyle. Was it Bradshaw? <laughs> it was Bradshaw, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. And then finally, Bradshaw lost it to Christian. They did the match at a SmackDown taping, and then it didn't air on TV. When they were explaining that Christian was the European champion, like, oh, Christian won the title at a live event. Very odd. Greetings to all my fans in South Carolina. Which I guess is doing a show in Scotland and saying hello England kind of heat. Yeah. He calls Greensboro the place where all hopes and dreams and the WWF will also come to die. Al Snow comes out to, well, on the live version, he would come out to the Tough Enough theme, but it's bloody overdubbed here. Oh. We get some quick roll-ups from Snow, which forces a standoff. There's then a nice slide under into a pump handle back suplex. He starts trapping headbutts, but then got suplexed but he gets it the second time of asking and hits a thrust kick for a two count and Spinebuster Bomb gets the same. A rake in the eyes allows Christian to hit a reverse DDT that JR, of course, calls the unprettier. Every single move Christian did, JR was like, oh, I'm prettier about Christian. <laughs> Christian rolls through a crossbody for a near fall. Al comes back with a snowplow, but Christian got his feet on the ropes. That then cues a short cat and mouse chase. In the fallout, Christian finally hits the unprettier, JR. And that gets a free count. Christian retains his title after 6 minutes and 30 seconds. Kyle, give us your thoughts on this one. It was actually alright for an opener. I was quite, quite happy with this. It really shows off Christian's sort of heel bravado throughout the match. 
I don't know. The finish maybe could have been a little bit better with the whole chase around the ring sort of thing. But other than that, yeah, I thought it was a decent opener to the pay-per-view. I thought for the time given, this was pretty reasonable. These lads were really hustled for time here. Yeah. It had some decent action. Just felt it was a little bit low-key. Like, this is going to be like this really monumental show and there's this very routine European title match at the start here. I bet, and I could be completely off point here, but this is probably the time where they would want the whole spotlight to be on that main event. So they would be hoping for all these matches that are working up towards that in the back thinking, please don't be shit hot, please don't be shit hot, because, you know, we want the, the payoff at the end to be monumentous sort of thing. This certainly feels like a one-match show in places. <laughs> we see Stone Cold and Deborah arrive to the Alliance team meeting and they're late. Stephanie asks, why didn't you return any of our calls? And Austin just goes, I didn't want to. They want assurances that he won't betray the Alliance after smiling at Vince on Smackdown. He's just being friendly. <laughs> Austin goes through all the different phrases to ask if everybody is scared and then he reiterates he's the leader his watch tells him stop being paranoid because tonight he's wiping out the WWF Austin got a lot of shit at this time for being this sort of weird character but actually it did make me laugh at points as a heel it didn't really feel right for the majority of it but the comedy was really really good yeah. Vince and Linda meet backstage and Vince is annoyed at Linda because she's willing to put everything on the line but then she's all concerned for everybody's welfare Michael Cole tries to get their thoughts and Vince teases him because he seems pretty concerned for his job give me credit for being a good businessman right it's funny watching that back because he says that and round about the same time or maybe just after he loses 40 million on the XFL <laughs> <laughs> so you know really is he good at taking calculated risks <laughs> <laughs> well as far as tonight's concerned he says he's got an ace in the hold a sixth member of the team who will betray the alliance mm. William Regal then interrupts He's not buying into Vince's hogwash. He says Austin's as loyal to the Alliance as Regal is to Her Majesty the Queen. Cheerio. It's great when Regal gets to be British. Yeah. Survivor Series is brought to you by Xbox, the future of video gaming, which allows Heyman to segue into the Alliance being the future of wrestling, not sports entertainment. We've been shown clips from SmackDown of Regal hitting a tiger bomb on Tori Wilson in a mixed tag team match, and then he choked her out. Tori Wilson had pretty much defected to the WWF and was in a relationship with Tajiri, which cues up our next match. It's our second of the evening, which sees the Alliance Commissioner, William Regal, facing off with from the WWF WCW Cruiserweight Champion Tajiri. I love the supervillain horns theme that William Regal has here. Yeah, nice theme. 
the theme that I'm getting from tonight as far as Regal goes is he's now a man with a bit of a mean streak. Yeah. He betrayed the WWF in October by helping Stone Cold regain the WWF title from Kurt Angle and has been Alliance Commissioner ever since. Tajiri also had a bit of a busy summer. He was the light heavyweight champion, he was the United States champion, and now he's here as cruiserweight champion. Match kicks off and Regal blocks most of Tajiri's kicks, but still gets knocked down, only to come back with a Finley roll and the knee trembler. Then they seem to mess up getting into the tarantula in the middle of this match, before Regal finally gets caught in it, charging into the corner. The handspring elbow gets a near fall, but Tajiri's head got caught between the top and second ropes, kind of like Mick Foley used to do. Tajiri arm drags out of the tiger bomb and gets a front kick, but then the buzzsaw kick is ducked, and after some nifty escape attempts, Regal hits the tiger bomb, and that gets him a free count after 2 minutes and 59 seconds. Regal then hits another one after the bell, so Tori Wilson comes out to check on her boyfriend, which results in her getting tiger bomb too. William Regal's a bit of a bastard, isn't he? Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> Very short match, and there were some botches in the middle that kind of derailed things and made it a bit more obvious. The work either side of that was decent enough, though. Yeah, mine's pretty similar. I, You know, I've put that it was a short match and quite stiff in places. I think they could have maybe afforded a bit more time there. Maybe got more Tajiri stuff in. Yeah, it was, it was quite short. They're a natural pairing for a feud, and it's just like, oh, all right, lads, we've got a couple of minutes to kill. Help us out here. Mm. Does them a disservice, I think. Next up, they hype the unification of the Intercontinental and the United States Championships. Test cost Edge the hardcore title and then beat him for the Intercontinental title by putting his feet on the ropes. Edge then went on to beat Kurt Angle for the United States title. And this then led to WWF Commissioner Mick Foley cutting an incredibly bitter promo about all the title changes going on, devaluing the championships. So he reached an agreement with Commissioner Regal to consolidate the United States and Intercontinental titles and both sets of tag team titles in winner-take-all matches at Survivor Series. We then close with a line from Michael Cole, who once again mixes up which man had which championship. Now, Kyle, previously on the show, you've been a big proponent of competitive title scenes with lots of title changes. How do you feel about what's been going on with the championships and the evasion? It's a different time, isn't it? Like back then, when they used to do the title changes, I used to think that they meant a little more, even though they were more often. However, with some of these alliance changes... Yes, it's good to move the belts about a bit, but some of them just seemed a bit pointless and un- unnecessary. Maybe keeping the belt with a certain person for slightly longer rather than playing hot potato, if you will, would maybe have worked out a little better. But, you know, I do like the idea of a variety of people holding on to the belt and sort of bringing that value of the belt up. But in this instance, I felt it sort of worked against them. It's too fast. Like, blink and you'll miss it, some of these. And, like, 
the tag team titles ones are really bad. We'll get to that when we get to that match. But let's see if we can figure out what's been happening to these championships. So, Kyle, giving you a bit of a, a head start, we know that Edge at one point had the title and Test beat him for it. So we're going to end up with that. But when we last left off, Albert was the Intercontinental Champion. Can you remember who beat Albert for the Intercontinental title? See, I'm not sure who beat Albert, but I'm pretty confident with this. Isn't this where Edge and Christian had their back-and-forth feud with the Intercontinental belt? That's That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So Edge first won the Intercontinental title in this time frame at SummerSlam. Yeah. And... Christian beat him for it at Unforgiven and then Edge regained it at No Mercy but who did Edge beat for the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam? Now you're asking I'm not confident on that Do you need to be serious for a minute? Oh Oh god The other un-American for god's sake my mind's gone (laughs) blank Storm 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 Yes, he gained the title from Albert in July and lost it to Edge at SummerSlam. Yes. All right, very good. So now, United States Championship. Booker T was the holder of the title at Invasion. Who beat Booker T for the US title? I'll be honest, this belt has completely been erased from my brain. I couldn't tell you. I know at some point Kurt Angle holds it. We started this package with Kurt Angle as a champion and Edge was the man that beat him for the title. Yeah. Did Tajiri have it? Tajiri, yes. He had it at September. I don't know who else. So you're missing two guys in between. Who beat Booker T, Kyle? Who better than Canyon? Chris Canyon, oh my god. Yeah. I would never have guessed that. <laughs> he won the title in July and kept it until September when Tajiri beat him. Tajiri then lost the title at Unforgiven to an ECW guy. An original? Yeah. Right, so it won't have been either of the Dudleys, so then from that, I'd then go Rhino yeah bingo then Kurt Angle beat Rhino for the title the night after No Mercy we then cut to Tess taking issue with Janet the backstage makeup lady and her oil rubbing techniques it's such a weird thing Stacey Keebler arrives so Tess proposes that after the show they go and partay Stacey will think about it mm. Coach then interviews Edge and lays out the stakes in this match, but Edge points out that him and Tess are very similar, except Tess being dumped by every chick on the planet. Instead of suffering Tess's big boot, tonight he'll be hearing Tess say, I lost! What's all that a boot? Hey. It's our third match of the evening. The WWF Intercontinental title and WCW United States title unification match. From the Alliance, the Intercontinental Champion Test is taking on the WWF's Edge, who is the United States Champion. Circling back to Rob Zombie for a little bit here, I was so pissed. I got WWF forcible entry 
and it didn't have the right version of Edge's theme on it. Oh no. <laughs> it was some like really weird remix and like that's not what it sounds like when he goes to the ring. What is this about? As we alluded to on our Invasion Prelude episode, Test essentially joined the Alliance because he was sick of being accused of being a mole for WCW. At the start of this, Edge quickened the pace to get Test off his feet, but then got clotheslined down. Edge fired back with a swinging netbreaker, but he only got a 1. Test's superplex is blocked, as is Edge's sunset flip powerbomb. Then Test jumps off the top rope into a big dropkick. Edge then escapes a pump handle slam with the Edgematic for a near fall. Just as Edge starts building momentum for the spear, Test wallops Edge with a spear of his own, and that only got a two count. It was a nice spear, that. Very nice, out of nowhere. Big Boot is ducked, spear is dodged, and Test hits the pump handle slam for a near fall. Edge and Hurricane Ran is out of a power bomb and gets the spear, but Test kicked out. So Edge attempts an execution. Test attempts to count with a full Nelson slam, but then Edge rolls through into a victory roll, and that's enough to get the free count. Edge wins, and in his fourth Intercontinental Title reign, unifies the title with the US title after eleven minutes and nineteen seconds. Talk me through this one, Kyle. I really enjoyed this match. I really liked seeing Edge at this point in time where he's just broken away from the tag team and he's fully involved with his single stuff. Mm. I think it's a really good push. The one thing that I would say, though, is other than Test, you know, with that the spear and the odd attempt at a pump handle, he didn't really make much of his push here. You know, he's mm. got a good slot title versus title throughout that match there was only going to be one winner at no point did I think you know what Test is going to win this and I think if you're really going to take advantage of being in that sort of match there needs to be some sort of sway like a a bit of an ebb and flow between you know oh god this guy's going to win that guy's going to win whereas I felt in that match Edge was sort of the star in there and you know really kept test at bay you know whether that was a bit of a disservice to him I don't know I can totally see that yeah so to your point Edge at this time he was on a really nice mid card run after his King of the Ring win but I think this was one of my least favourite matches from it the first half of this match was very paint by numbers and I'm similar to you test didn't open up his playbook enough then everything after Edge dropkick test out of midair, that was gold. That was when the match really picked up. And it was when both men finally felt like they were wrestling as themselves. I think at the start, it felt like they were wrestling how maybe certain people backstage told them they needed to wrestle in order to move up the card. I did enjoy a good deal of this match. I just think it was a bit disappointing. Kurt Angle talks to Stephanie McMahon backstage and she's stressed about the Alliance possibly losing and her possibly becoming a regular person who'll have to do her own shopping and washing. Oh, my heart bleeds. (laughs) We then see the cage descending on the arena for the tag title unification match. 
Lita is chatting to Jeff Hardy backstage and asks if he knows anything about Matt acting strange lately. But Jeff just says the pressure makes everyone act out. Matt overhears this and starts on a rant saying everyone should act strange. They need to win their matches so no one can take away their dream. He then, before walking off, closes on the line that I know in his head he thought sounded really cool but it sounds dead corny. Come on Jeff, let's go survive. (laughs) Yeah, now that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Lita then bumps into Trish Stratus who was heading out of the same locker room Matt had just come from. She wishes Lita luck later tonight, but Lita's clearly got questions. Anyway, it's time for our fourth match of the night. The WWF and WCW Tag Team Championship Unification Steel Cage Match. It's the WCW Tag Team Champions, the Dudley Boys, accompanied by Stacey Keebler, taking on the WWF Tag Team Champions, the Hardy Boys. You can win this match by pinfall, submission, or both members of one team escaping the cage over the top. For fuck's sake, there have been so many title changes, the graphics can't even keep up either. The Dudley boys are listed as the WWF Tag Team Champions, even though they're the WCW Champions. To follow it up, Howard Finkel announces the Hardy Boys as the WCW Champions. Fuck's sake! (laughs) Yeah, and I've got no idea who held what belt at what time, especially with these tag belts. Oh my gosh, let's run down this right now. So, the WCW belts, we started off with O'Hare and Palumbo as champions. There were four title changes. The only one that I know for definite at some point throughout all this, Undertaker and Kane held them. Other than that, I've got no idea. That's the first title change, Kyle, yes. Oh, is it? Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. Brothers of Destruction beat Palumbo and O'Hare in August. They then lost the titles in September to a rather makeshift tag team. Both WWF? It's an alliance team. Okay. One is a WCW original and the other is a defector. And the common link is they're both Shane McMahon's boys. Right, so one's Booker T. Correct. And the other one has has to be Tess then. Exactly. And then they lost the titles in October to a proper tag team from the WWF. Right, so if the Dudleys hold them, then the hardies it would have to be. That's right, yep. Hardys, and then finally the Dudleys were the one that beat them on the SmackDown after No Mercy. For WWF side of things, we started out with the APA as the WWF Tag Champions. And there were one, two, three, four, five, six title changes in the meantime. Right, well, again, other than the Brothers of Destruction, because they held them both, I've no idea. The Brothers of Destruction won the titles at SummerSlam. There's one more team in between that won the titles. It's an alliance team. Both WCW originals. Think who'd be feuding with Undertaker and Kane. Right, well, one of them's DDP. 
correct? Canyon? Yes! Bloody hell. I don't know where I've pulled that from. (laughs) (laughs) Taker and Kane lost the titles in September to a proper tag team. Hardys? The Dudleys? Dudley boys, yes, that's right. The Dudleys then lost the titles on the Raw after No Mercy to a makeshift team from the WWF. Makeshift team. I'm trying to think around that time. Didn't Jericho hold it at one point? Jericho is one guy, yep. Because wasn't he... He was a WCW champion, weren't he, at the time? That's correct. Who the hell would his partner have been? Think tag team partners. Can they coexist? Oh, The Rock. The Rock, that's right, yes. They lost the titles at the start of November to a team from the Alliance that we'd previously mentioned in the WCW title history. So, Booker Team Test. Correct. And then finally, the Hardy Boys beat Booker T and Test last Monday on Raw to get us to this match. Yeah. Okay. This is exhausting, isn't it? I, I tell you what, these, these belt changes are ridiculous. <laughs> We're also shown last Thursday on SmackDown, Lita knocked Stacey Keebler off the apron and out of instinct, Matt Hardy caught her. In the confusion, this allowed Stacy to restrain Matt while the Dudleys hit the 3D on Lita. Pretty cool opening visual at the start where both teams lay down their championship belts like a lion in the sand on the ground. Yeah. And I've not mentioned this at all. Paul Heyman deserves a heck of a lot of props because he's been great in all of these matches putting over the lineage of these titles and the unification matches. JR, at the start of this, is like, these teams have fought over and over, they can't surprise each other, and Heyman has to reel him in and point out, well, they've never fought in a cage before. (laughs) Surprise! But then there's some classic Hardy double team on Bubba, and it only got a one count, so maybe JR did have a point after all. Bubba then hit a wonderful bossman slam on Jeff Hardy. My God, the height on that thing. Devon was really slick when he turned Matt Hardy's charge into the corner, into a hanging reverse DDT that got a two count. And this is where I start to take issue with this match. So they're wrestling like a traditional tag team match, and there's one man from both teams on the apron. They're not treating it like tornado rules, even though they could do. So why doesn't the non-legal men just try and climb out the cage? That's very true. (laughs) Matt escapes Bubba's slam with a reverse DDT of his own. That allows Jeff to come in with a hot tag. Both Dudleys get hit with poetry in motion. And the Hardys climb on opposite sides of the cage. That just leads to Matt leg-sweeping Devon off the top rope. And Bubba hitting the Bubba Bomb on Jeff off the top. JR says, this match has degenerated. And I'm like, no, this is what it should have been all along. Tornado rules, everything goes, come on. Matt gets double flapjacked into the cage. But then Bubba accidentally alley-oop Jeff almost to the top of the cage. 
and he has to recover by getting him in the electric chair for the Dudleyville device. It's followed by a reverse 3D, but Matt saved the fall. Jeff dodged consecutive top rope attacks by both Dudleys, which allowed Matt to hit a double top rope clothesline. And then the Hardys hit their top rope leg drop and splash combination, but Devon saved the fall. Matt was hung up in the Tree of Woe at the top of the cage, and that allowed the Dudleys to hit the WEATHERP, and they asked Stacy to get the table. How does Stacy get the table in the, in the cage, Kyle? By flirting ridiculously with Nick Patrick. Yes, she used her finisher from the SmackDown games, which is flashing her ass at someone. <laughs> oh, I love the fact that he just gives up as well. It's like she whispers <laughs> in his ear, takes the key, and then goes, oh, yeah, okay, fuck it, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Matt saves Jeff from a 3D through the table with a flying clothesline, which allows Jeff to DDT Devon. Matt escapes the cage. Jeff takes a little while longer. He finally gets in the position to escape by repeatedly smashing Devon face first into the cage. But then he spots that Devon is prone on the table. The opportunity to win in trademark Hardy fashion is just too tempting. And he flies off the cage with the Swanton Bomb. But Devon had moved. Bubba covers Jeff. And that gets the free count to win and unify the championships. Which was the Dudley's sixth WWF tag team title reign. Lita comes out post match and Jeff gets stretched out. What did you think, Kyle? Did you enjoy this one? I really enjoyed this one. You know, whenever these two get together, you always know you're going to get some crazy spots. The bit where Bubba throws Matt's face into the cage with the avalanche and like the Jeff Swanton stuff like that. Just incredible stuff, and it keeps you involved with it all. All right, the Stacy thing was the key. Jesus. <laughs> the, whatever. All right, at the time, let's believe that that's a thing that can happen. But I think that it was a nice finish in the fact of the storytelling moving forward, because Jeff clearly was the one that sort of messed everything up by doing the spot, which then moves into what will happen, you know, in the the next coming months with Matt. This is much more like it. Best match of the show so far. It lacked a bit of logic at the start, to say the least, but in terms of action, it was still a solid opening. And then, once they dispensed with the tags, it really took off and met its potential. You had the brutish Dudleys, they controlled the match, and then it took the Hardys' timing, speed, and resourcefulness to keep buying them glimmers of hope. The finish made sense to me because it's kind of a callback to the last time the Hardys had a title match in the cage. There was a moment where Jeff was on the very top of the cage. He flew off it and it changed the momentum of the match for them. Yeah. Matt, as he outlined in his promo earlier, he was just in like win-at-all-costs mode. So we'll see how that dynamic plays out in the future. But overall, this was a very enjoyable match. We're roughly halfway through the show. So Kyle, it's time for us to take a little sidetrack to one of the most interesting things to happen in the run-up to this show that wasn't wrestling. Welcome to the Weakest Link! 
we are taking a look at the first WWF Superstar Special of The Weakest Link. This aired on the 12th of November 2001. Do you remember this show, Kyle? I do remember it. Do you remember watching specifically this episode? Yes. If it's the one that I'm thinking of, it's the Triple H and Stephanie one, isn't it? It is indeed, yes. Yes, I do remember this one. So, I'll run you through the lineup here. Our contestants are the Alliance Commissioner William Regal, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, Lita, Kurt Angle, Trish Stratus, Booker T, and Big Show. For those of you who haven't seen The Weakest Link before, it's a quiz show where you get a chain of eight correct answers in a row, and if you do that, you will reach your goal for the round in terms of money, which is $125,000. Wrong answers or a contestant choosing to bank the total so far breaks the chain. At the end of the round, the contestants vote who they think the worst player was, which is the titular weakest link, and the player with the most votes exits the game. This carries on until there's two players remaining. They have one last round where they double the money, and then at the end it's essentially a penalty shootout, but with general knowledge. Stephanie, ever the promoter, she plugs the pay-per-view when she's introducing herself. And her closing lines are, My brother and I look forward to driving our parents out of business. My charity is the American Red Cross. <laughs> There's another couple of cute moments where the camera has to pan up to see the big show. And a couple of the lads promote Kurt Angle's merchandise as a bit. Early on in this, Booker T banks like crazy, but he is as dumb as a post. He seems to confuse regular Thanksgiving and Canadian Thanksgiving because he thinks it's in October. So then, true to form, Triple H kept voting Booker T as the weakest link. The best parts of this show are Anne's exchanges with Stephanie. Yeah. So Anne, at one point, she asked Stephanie, Where'd you get your money from? And Steph goes, My daddy. Who's he? Vince McMahon? Never heard of him. She then follows up by asking, Where are all your muscles? And Steph jokes, I got two big muscles right here and motions to her breasts. Jeez. One of the things that I remember with Stephanie is that she would just copy Triple H in like <laughs> votes and stuff when it gets near the very end Stephanie and Triple H last a long time and Triple H is like I'm not going to vote my wife out you yeah. know <laughs> Anne asks Triple H did you marry her for her money and Triple H goes damn right <laughs> Big Show is the first guy voted off and he towers over Anne on the way out to try and intimidate her, but she just no-sold it, like a boss. He then threatens everyone, it's like, hey, I know where you all are on Monday, and then he nearly falls off the stage, moving away. <laughs> Lita, at one point, she botched a question about presidents, and then ended up suggesting that George Bush was the president on the dollar bill. 
there's some storyline continuity in here too, Kyle. At one point, Steph explains that she's voting Trish off because she slept with her dad and she was in a compromising position with Triple H. And Triple H has to explain, oh, I was just teaching her a go behind. <laughs> now, I have to say, Stephanie, for someone who's living in this McMahon bubble, she's surprisingly good at her general knowledge. She got a question correct about WCW alumnus Robocop. And then they throw a question about the XFL in there and Stephanie mishears it and I'm glad that she clarified because that would be very embarrassing if she didn't know that. Sorry, I don't know what my dad does. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, Triple H, there was like six seconds of the round to go and they had a decent block of money and he wouldn't bank. And then it's the same in the penultimate round. Like, nobody's banking anything. You need some money here. (laughs) Anyway, the final two are Stephanie and Trips. The final total is $48,500 out of a possible $1 million. Triple H wins the shootout 3-2 and quips at the end, Stephanie, mercifully, you will just go away. (laughs) And then Stephanie brags in the talking heads at the end, she and Triple H have a healthy competition in their relationship among many healthy things in their relationship, and Moore's over punishing him when they get home. All right. (laughs) I was such a mark for this show. I came in school the next day and was like, yeah, Triple H won because he's the game. (laughs) Oh, that bring back memories, Kyle. It very much did. What's some of your other favourite guest spots of wrestlers on... I don't know, more traditional shows. I enjoyed, I can't think of the name, like the American version of Family Fortunes. Family Feud, I think it's called. Is it Family Feud? They've always been good. When The Miz has been on it and stuff like that. I always liked them. Oh, Miz, I didn't realise Miz went on that show. Yeah, Miz did it. And I have a feeling Rey Mysterio's done it as well. (laughs) He'd be good at Family Feud. (laughs) I can't wait to go on Family Feud and beat my kids. (laughs) Do you remember They Think It's All Over? Yes. I think in hindsight, this might have been my first encounter with pro wrestling. They had Jake the Snake Roberts, snake and all, on the Feel the Sportsman round. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's where... So those that haven't don't know the show, it's like a sports quiz, and they have a round where two contestants get under blindfolds, and they have a sports personality in front of them, and they have to figure out who it is by just touching them. I never remember Jake the Snake being on that. That's mad. <laughs> he actually lived in Britain at one point, and then got deported or put under house arrest because it was when he was not in a good place in life, so... Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Any road. <laughs> the attitude. The excitement. Nothing beats the experience of the WWF Live. As if we needed a further spoiler for the main event, here's the WWF's touring schedule for the next month. <laughs> WWF Commissioner Mick Foley is then shown in WWF New York his heart is in Greensboro, 
but Vince has ordered him to be here for some reason. So he's running up a huge bar tab in Vince's name. As long as the commissioner has to answer to the owner, the role is nothing but a joke. He's still pulling for the WWF, but he's going to see Vince in Charlotte tomorrow morning in the event of their victory. Yeah, Foley's a little ticked off here, Kyle. He is, just a little. He's not in a good place with the company right now, let's just say. Scotty Too Hotty is running backstage, ready for the Immunity Battle Royal. Tess asks him if he's in the match, and Scotty goes, Yeah, I'm in the Battle Royal, what's it to you? Tess then beats him up and says, No anymore, you're not. When I watched it back for this show, it made me laugh, because when I originally watched it, I thought Scotty Too Hotty had a lion tattoo on his back. Oh? Obviously he doesn't, but I was like, oh yeah, I can see how I felt that when I was younger, because he's like mesh. The lion on his back was under the mesh, so he had like a t-shirt on a t-shirt, but it looked like he only had the mesh on, so it looked like he was on his back. (laughs) (laughs) He's just layering up because it's winter. (laughs) That leads us into match number five of the evening. It's the Immunity Battle Royal. This is an inter-promotional match where the winner will be guaranteed a job with the winning company for an entire year. Sean Stasiak, the dolt, he immediately gets eliminated charging at the APA. Albert goes after Test out for revenge for his tag partner. Taz enters the match late and Heyman is furious after what happened on SmackDown. Quick note here how Billy and Chuck already have matching tights. Oh, something's happening. Yeah, Chuck Palumbo, the rare defector from the alliance to the WWF. Hurricane put on his cape, but flies right into a hot shot from Farouk, and Bradshaw eliminates him. Then Albert press slammed Perry Saturn over the top rope to show that it's every man for himself in this match. DDP gloats over downing Billy Gunn, so he got eliminated from behind by Chuck who then got eliminated by a double superkick from Lance Storm and Just Incredible. Jesus, how far had DDP fallen here? Yep. Main event to getting eliminated by Chuck Palumbo. Madness. Madness indeed. Hugh Morris and Chavo Guerrero joined the match, despite being fired by the Alliance for actively seeking work from the WWF. In the end, Chavo got press slammed out onto Hugh by Billy. Storm sent Spike Dudley flying over the top rope with an enzigiri. Stephen Richards got absolutely laid out with a clothesline from hell and eliminated. Taz gets distracted talking trash to Heyman and gets eliminated by Billy. Heyman's pretty amused at first, but then he hides behind JR when Taz confronts him. Later on, Heyman rightly calls JR out for being sexist. He's like, you ran like a woman from Taz. <laughs> Billy Kidman and Tess double-team Albert out of the match, only for Kidman to get fallaway slammed over the top by Bradshaw. And that cuts us down to our final four. It's Bradshaw, Lance Storm, Billy Gunn and Test. Billy did a great job hanging on from Test almost dumping him out. And then after Test eliminates Bradshaw and Storm, Billy Gunn ducks the big boot and sets up for the Famasa to a big pop. But he then immediately gets big booted 
over the top rope. And Tess wins immunity after 7 minutes and 37 seconds. Pretty generic stuff overall, but you can still have some fun looking for people like Lance Storm and Billy Gunn who are you know, trying to make the most out of their spots and think of something different to fill out the time. Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed in this Battle Royal, you know Billy Kidman? Yes. He looks like a clean-cut CM Punk. Uh, right, yeah, okay, I can kind of see that, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was just when I was rewatching it, I was like, ah. Oh, God, test winning, really. He's just messed up his title match with Edge. And then you have him winning this. Bad booking in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see how this plays out here. Mm-hmm. Backstage, Booker T tells Shane, don't trust Austin. But Shane reiterates, everything is on the line and Austin is the guy. Wait a shit on your WCW guy. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Match number six, appropriately enough, is the six-pack challenge match for the vacant WWF Women's Championship. It features Trish Stratus, Jacqueline, and Lita from the WWF, along with Ivory, Mighty Molly, and a mystery representative from the Alliance. The title had been on the shelf ever since China left the WWF over the summer, and this is where they look to revive it. You know, just as the company might go out of business in kayfabe. <laughs> I had no clue China left. No, me neither. She just, like, disappeared. Who's the mystery entrant? In the immortal words of our friend Martin Dixon, It's Jazz! I vaguely knew who Jazz was from the ECW video games. What did you know about Jazz? I didn't know anything about Jazz at this point. Oh boy, you were in for a shocker here then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she immediately bodies Lita with a bossman slam and a double arm suplex. Heyman is putting her over hard. One thing I did know about her in ECW, I think she mostly wrestled men, so I kind of figured business had picked up and with the way she was wrestling out of the blocks here, I was hugely impressed. Lita came back with the head scissors. Jackie and Molly tag in and do a nice technical exchange and a loud ass chop. That's a really loud chop, not a chop to the ass. <laughs> a loud ass chop. <laughs> Ivory came in to trade sunset flip counters and then Trish tagged in with the flapjack. The Alliance cheap shot all of the WWF women and tried to triple team Trish. So Jackie and Lita say, fuck this, come in with a poetry emotion on Jazz. Jackie then turned on Lita when they went for it on Molly, only to get hit with the Molly go-round. Cues a parade of finishing moves, the chick kick from Trish, the X-Factor from Ivory. Twist of Fate and Moonsault by Lita, only for Jazz to save the fall. Lita hits a double clothesline, but then gets backdropped over the top by Trish, who then low bridges Jazz to the outside flips out of Ivory's back suplex and hit the Stratisfaction for the free count in what JR termed an upset. JR then ruins the mood by quipping, Trish comes in the back door and then addresses Paul, I'm sure you wouldn't mind that. <laughs> Trish Stratus wins the title in her first reign as women's champion after 4 minutes and 23 seconds. What do you think, Kyle? 
this just highlights how bad they spotlighted the women back then. Mm-hmm. What a ridiculously short match for some really good performers. The only really positive in this is this was like the beginning of Trish's sort of stardom. Yeah, just, I don't know, when it finished, and I was like, four minutes, Jesus. This was really solid for the time given, but again, the short-shifting people on this pay-per-view. Yeah, like, if you put it into perspective of, like, what the women get nowadays... Oh, for sure, yeah. Minimum's, like, what, 15 minutes? Yeah, there's a ton of good performers here. Everyone, bar Trish, was near as damn it perfect. You could see there was a lack of experience in Trish. She fluffed a few things, but you could also see how willing she is to put in the work. Mm. And... Yeah, this is really the start of her star-making turn as, as like going from a character to a wrestler. I thought Jazz and Jackie in particular were terrific and I have no earthly idea why they waited so long to bring Jazz in. To debut someone on potentially the final night of that company's existence, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. No. Backstage... Vince is rallying his team. He has every confidence they'll win, but as a pragmatist, he could be looking at losers, and not one WWF fan will forgive you if that's the case. The whole shtick here at the backstage makes me laugh, because a few weeks before, Shane announced to his alliance team that he was going to include himself. Yeah. And then... Vince was like, oh my god, Shane put himself in the main event, that means I have to be put in the main event. And then, I'm guessing, in the writer's room, they must have gone, how fucking ridiculous is this? And then all of a sudden, the big show has then replaced Vince. Right, yeah. I remember Vince getting announced (laughs) for this match, and then I have no memory of how he got taken out of this match. Yeah, it was never explained, it was just like, right, big show's there instead. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking ridiculous. Vince starts listing off the legends they'd disgrace if they lost. What's notable here is when he mentioned Andre the Giant, he focused on The Undertaker and not The Big Show. And then he screams at The Rock, Hi, Chief Peter Maivia! And Rock's just doing the Brock Lesnar hop all throughout this segment. He tells them to treat the rumours that Austin is defecting as bullshit, because tonight they're fighting for the highest stakes they ever have. Go out and honour the World Wrestling Federation. Do you not think that it's really funny that it's WWF versus the Alliance and in the whole Alliance team there's actually only one WCW guy? That's exactly (laughs) what I wanted to talk to you about, Kyle! (laughs) Like, what the fuck? (laughs) This is like I was talking earlier about Jericho and The Rock feuding over the WCW title because they'd diminished all the WCW originals' credibility, so Rock had no one else to feud with. It's not a good sign, really. Speaking of, the Alliance don't get a big motivational speech, they're just shown walking backstage. We're getting near to the moment of truth, but 
There's been a lot of edits to this show on the network, Kyle. The one thing that I really want to talk to you about that has been edited out is the WWF Desire video set to My Sacrifice by Creed. Oh, brilliant. What did you make of this video when you saw it growing up? We've said this numerous times, haven't we? Just the music and the promos just hit it right. So, so good. This got me more amped for the show than the actual main event video package. Yeah. As somebody who rarely got shots of WWF shows at the time, like seeing all this like footage of what's been going on and all the big spots and stuff, it was just like, whoa. I love this. This is like a peak time for communicating what wrestling is to people through these packages and with music and like you have the My Way video for Wrestlemania that's a good one that's a really good one I'd almost put this My Sacrifice video up there in the same league in terms of influence in terms of how people absorb wrestling like the the highlights and the, the way it makes you feel I was so fucking amped for this video I was like acting it out on my bed, jumping up and doing all the moves. And and my mum was like screaming at me like, Duncan, Seb's at the door. (laughs) Oh, right, okay. Wait a minute, I've not finished the video yet. (laughs) (laughs) So it's main event time. The night after No Mercy, Vince declared, I'm tired of this alliance crap, this invasion crap. And he challenged Shane and Stephanie to a traditional five-on-five Survivor Series match where the winner would be the company that remains in business. It's winner take all! Winner take all! The challenge was accepted and that night the WWF began an all-out onslaught on the Alliance. With Tajiri winning the Cruiserweight title, Bradshaw winning the European title, Kurt Angle winning the United States title, and Rock and Y2J winning the WWF Tag Team titles. However, in a shocking turn of events, the next week on Raw, Kurt Angle defected to the Alliance. Naughty boy. I was totally pissed off at that one. The week it happened on Heat, I lined up the tape to the spot where they highlight the turn, and when Seb came over, I was like, Look at this shit! You've gotta be kidding me. They have the big post 9-11 cathartic big babyface hope moment for him at Unforgiven and now all of a sudden he's like oh yeah I'm gonna go to the Alliance now. It just rang false and it wasn't as bad as Austin becoming a bad guy but it's just like what is going on now? One thing I will say, though, is that there was a promo on SmackDown that week that Angle defected, and it was him and Shane and Austin, and it's a nice kind of mirror to how, at the start of this invasion, it was Vince and Kurt and Austin that were the cluster of power. Yeah. The video package also highlights that Chris Jericho and The Rock have now totally become at odds with one another, after trading WCW title wins. That was another thing that made me really, really mad. 
I was a massive Jericho fan growing up and I was really happy when he won the WCW title at last. And then on Heat one week for like, let's cut to highlights of The Rock challenging Y2J for the WCW title and The Rock won the match. We're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, he just lost it again on Raw, like, really randomly. Just, ugh. However, a week later, Vince declared at Survivor Series, Stone Cold Steve Austin would rejoin the WWF, which causes all of Austin's teammates to be highly suspicious of Austin. We close on the line by Vince. The WWF will wipe the Alliance off the face of this earth. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's our main event. The winner take all. Winner take all. Traditional Survivor Series match. It's Team Alliance. The WCW owner, Shane McMahon. Booker T. The WWF hardcore champion, Rob Van Dam. Kurt Angle. And the WWF champion, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Taking on Team WWF, which comprises of The Big Show, Kane, Undertaker, Chris Jericho, and the WCW champion, The Rock. Stone Cold Steve Austin's heel music is terrible, and I hate it with a passion. (laughs) Seemingly in answer to Kyle's complaints about the Invasion main event, the Alliance completely clear the ring the moment the Big Show gets in the ring. (laughs) It's funny when all the Alliance team were having to scurry away when Undertaker rides his bike out. I will run you over and I don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) We've not talked much about the dynamic on commentary. It's rather confrontational and it's all coming to a head here with JR really getting pissed at Paul Heyman and telling him Jim Cornette can take your place on Monday, pal. And then he shoots on him for living with his parents too. When they were doing the big rallying speech backstage, when The Rock came on screen, I thought he got a few boos. But when he comes out here, it's a much more positive reaction. Yeah. Rock and Austin immediately start a brawl to kick off the match. They trade Fez presses. And then we get a running theme of the early going where... Shane McMahon keeps breaking up pinfalls. RVD had some great evasive counter-wrestling, dodging Chris Jericho's dropkick, allowing him to hit a somersault moonsault, only to then get trapped in the walls of Jericho, which Shane interrupts. Kane and Kurt Angle have a pretty good spell in this match. Kurt German suplexes Kane, who might be in his worst gear at this time period. Yeah, definitely. It's the 2000 singlet, but it's in his 97 colours, like with the bright red instead of the, I don't know, like the amber, the flame colour, and it's really jarring. Kane sat up, hit a sidewalk slam and top rope clothesline, but Shane broke up the fall. Undertaker and Booker T tag in, and Undertaker hits a leg drop, but Shane broke up the fall. You see where this is going? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get the hot tag to the Big Show, and he devastates Kurt Angle with chops and a beal, and military presses Rob Van Dam. But then Angle counters the choke slam with the Angle Slam, and it's followed up by a scissors kick and spin a Rooney by Booker T, and the five star frog splash from Rob Van Dam, 
and the top rope elbow drop by Shane McMahon. And Shane McMahon eliminates the Big Show in a move that had me absolutely furious. Unbelievable. I thought this made Team WWF look so stupid. Like, they just sat and watched Shane McMahon break up every fall underneath the sun, and then when the biggest man in the match was getting eliminated, they're just like, oh, cool, whatever. It shows that really they wanted Vince in the match. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck this guy. We wanted Vince. (laughs) I was thinking of the the scene in Anchorman where Brick's staring at someone was like, you're not Vince. (laughs) Anyway, it pays off later on. The Rock starts twatting Shane McMahon with right hands. Kane hits him with a choke slam. The Undertaker does this weird thumbs down tombstone. Yeah, very odd. When I was a kid, I was like, how is Shane staying on The Undertaker's chest? (laughs) It's just glued on there. (laughs) He's just clinging on for his life. Finally, Jericho hits the lion's salt and Shane McMahon is eliminated. Jericho then follows up with a lovely sunset flip counter dodging Rob Van Damme's shoulder tackles. Kane comes in with a wicked clothesline only to eat a spin kick after Booker T got involved, which sets him up for the five-star frog splash. RVD is too winded from the splash, so it takes a while for him to get to the cover so that when he finally does, he gets goozled by Kane. Booker T makes a save with a Harlem sidekick that sees the match disintegrate in a schmoz and in the chaos, Van Damme hits a top rope rider kick and that's enough to eliminate Kane. Undertaker then gets in with a pretty funny spot where he gets all four of the remaining Alliance guys in all of the corners of the ring and does the avalanches on them. Yeah. It's like, whee! Whee! <laughs> he hits the last ride on Kurt Angle, but the referee is escorting Booker T out of the ring, which allows Austin to sneak in and hit the stunner. He then puts Kurt Angle on top and the Undertaker is eliminated. This means that the WWF are left with The Rock and Chris Jericho. Can they coexist, Kyle? (laughs) No, they cannot. (laughs) (laughs) The Rock got levelled with the Harlem Psychic by Booker T. It looked tremendous. Yeah, it did look really good. He gets payback eventually, though, and knocks Booker into Kurt and rolls him up to eliminate Booker. Van Damme gets in there, and Rock hits a single-leg powerbomb out of the corner on Van Damme, and that looked really good too. It's kind of like Raquel's powerbomb. Yeah, yeah. The remaining teammates on both teams, by the way, they were opponents in the world title matches at No Mercy. Oh, yeah. They had Rock and Jericho left for the WWF, RVD, Angle, and Austin left for the Alliance. I just thought that was a funny footnote. The Lion Salt got dodged, only for Jericho to get the knees up from the split-legged Moonsault and hit the breakdown, aka the school-crushing finale, to eliminate Rob Van Dam. Austin catapults the rock into the ring post, which allows the heels to isolate Jericho. Oh, fuck me, Kyle. Speaking of matches that got totally derailed by things going wrong... Jericho and Austin just 
right past each other. Oh god! And then they stare at each other for at least half a second of like, what was what's going on? They don't know what to do with each other. In the panic, Austin eventually hits probably the most casual back body drop imaginable. I think at this point, the match is starting to feel a little long here and it's just like wrestling for the sake of it, you know? Yeah. It's this heat on Jericho. It goes on a little bit long for my liking. The stereo clotheslines finally let The Rock tag in. He hits a dragon screw leg whip and locks on the sharpshooter on Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle taps out. Heyman is apoplectic. Why would an Olympic gold medalist tap out? My future's on the line. (laughs) Jericho tags back in. He trades Walls of Jericho attempts with Austin. Only for Austin to then get the knees up from the lion's salt. I forgot to mention as well, Jericho's got the Windows 98 pipe screensaver tights on. Yeah. I kind of like those. Out of nowhere, Austin rolls through a Jericho cradle to eliminate Chris Jericho. This takes us down to Austin versus The Rock once again, and this perks the fans right up. Rock hits a spine buster, but then, from behind, for absolutely no reason, Jericho hits The Rock with the breakdown. When I first watched this, I thought, oh my god, that's a Jericho turn. But, in fact, it was just because Jericho fucking hits The Rock. (laughs) Austin goes for the cover, but The Rock kicks out. Jericho then starts walking back down the ramp again for round two, but a furious Undertaker chastises him all the way to the back. Austin sent The Rock sailing over the top rope, and Rock just took an absolutely beautiful bump. Having said that, both of these lads look so knackered. Yeah. Get a spinebuster and sharpshooter from Austin, which fires Heyman up. Why doesn't Hebner call for the bell like he likes to? Because the rock hasn't tapped. Heyman replies, Well, that never stopped him before at Survivor Series, did it? Rock gets the ropes, replies with a spinebuster and sharpshooter of his own. Austin, in the meantime, had grabbed the title, attempted to hit Rock with it, and he's clutching onto the title while he's in the sharpshooter in a great visual. Like, ah, my title, the ropes, my title, the ropes. There's a sneaky low blow from Austin, but the rock counters the stunner with a stone cold stunner of his own to a huge pop. In the background, though, you can see WCW referee Nick Patrick come out and he punches out Earl Hebner before he could make the free count. Austin then saves Patrick from the rock bottom with a rock bottom of his own for a close near fall. And then, for no reason, he nails Nick Patrick and decides he wants Earl Hebner to be the referee instead. (laughs) Austin and Earl collide with each other when The Rock counters the stunner. Rock goes to the rock bottom, but it's countered with the Stone Cold Stunner. But there's no referee. Out comes Kurt Angle. And he nails Stone Cold Steve Austin with the WWF title. Just as Austin revived the ref. Rock hits the rock bottom. One, two, three. The WWF has survived. Paul Heyman is stunned. Stephanie McMahon is in tears. 
and on her knees. And then after The Rock gets his own celebrations in, Vince McMahon comes out on stage with possibly the most aggressive lifting of his arms ever. He's like, yes! <laughs> Team WWF wins after 44 minutes and 57 seconds of wrestling. Jeez. Your prediction earlier in the show kind of came true there, Kyle. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot in there that was good, but then similarly, it was way too long. It did not need to be that long. Okay. Obviously, this was the match of the night, both from how it was getting highlighted and you know the actual quality of the wrestling. Yeah. I watched this pretty closely after I'd done notes and stuff for the Invasion show. Watching this so soon after watching the inaugural brawl didn't really do the match any favours in my view. No. It kind of highlighted how bloated it was. There's essentially three segments to this. The first half of this was like a true Survivor Series style match. The eliminations are coming thick and fast. Then it morphed into a Rock and Chris Jericho versus Angle and Austin tag team match. And then finally you had the closing stretch with The Rock and Austin. That middle portion just got a little bit too saggy. But the two bookending parts, they were really, really good. I feel like letting the big show get eliminated made the WWF look like goofs, but at least they immediately mirrored that with the way Shane got eliminated. And then all of the action after that was tremendous. Austin and Rock look so very tired, like Star Trek VI tired, yeah. closing that match out. But they still knew how to keep you captivated. My only other complaint is the Jericho turn. I know you just think he's just like getting a bit of extras on The Rock, but I don't really think it was warranted. Him and The Rock were perfectly cordial all match long, and then he got eliminated fair and square... And just decided, okay, well, fuck you then, Rock. Yeah. It felt a bit forced. I've put down here that it was four out of five for me. And pretty much just summing up exactly what you've said, that middle portion just felt like, whoa. And then it started to kick back in. Angle coming down, huge, huge pop from the crowd with that. Seeing JR getting in the face of him and gloating. That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was an all-around. It was a great, great main event. Just, I felt it was a tad too long. When it was all over and it was all said and done and you sort of look back, I've written here on my notes, why was this match meaningless? Question mark. So, mm. the stipulation was that everyone from the losing side who didn't have a title would be fired. <laughs> yeah. So, Christian's got the European title. So he's safe. The Dudleys have the tag team title. They're safe. RVD has the hardcore title. He's safe. Austin has the WWF title. He's safe. Angle was the mole. So he's safe. Test won the immunity battle royal. So he's safe. So really, everyone other than Booker T that we really care about is safe. Yeah, is this going to change as much as we think? Perhaps not. Yeah. All of these people had really good storyline reasons to still continue to be on television. What follows on in the coming weeks 
people just started randomly showing up and getting rehired after this and okay I appreciate you've got all these great wrestlers that you need to figure out what to do with but just felt like a kind of like hodgepodge yeah like everything seemed to just go back to normal as a kid that was what I was after because I was pretty fatigued by this storyline oh yeah but I mean growing up as like as a big comic book fan if something big happened in the comics you would still be seeing those effects you know years and years down the line now I appreciate that wrestling and comics do have some sort of crossover but not majorly so for the next night to be like Vince accepts Stephanie's apology and then we're done and dusted I was like oh okay (laughs) there's uh, lots of process yeah Especially the Kurt Angle being the mole thing. That really, really flashed by and nobody seemed to emphasise it in the closing moments that much. So we're going to see in our next episode how that kind of plays out a little more long term. Yeah. But yeah, to circle back to your point, I just felt it wasn't quite as slick as the inaugural brawl, you know. Yeah. Still a rewarding match. Definitely the high point of this show. What are your feelings overall, Kyle? So what do you think of the show as a whole and who was your favourite performer you wanted to highlight? As a show overall, I would say that it sort of got better and better and better as the night went on. You could just tell that they wanted all of the time for the main event and that really, really showed. In fact, maybe showed a little too much than what it should have. And so I think that sort of affected the pay-per-view in its entirety. However, I do think the build worked with the main event. The main event, all right, they had that little lull in the middle, but it was still a fantastic main event. Really, really good. So, yeah, I'd probably give it 7 out of 10. You know, it would have definitely have got higher if the rest of the pay-per-view was strong. And then... I don't really have one standout performer. I mean, for me, I really enjoyed the cage match with the Hardys and the Dudleys. So I'd probably just say, like, just the tag teams being as slick as usual. It's very rare that you get Dudleys and the Hardys whenever they're against each other having a bad match. So, yeah. Mm, Sure, yeah. They blatantly put their eggs all in one particular basket for this show. It's very, very starved for attention in places when it comes to the lower parts of the card and it's very frustrating because there's some performers that you would have really liked to see a little bit more out of Regal and Tajiri that's a thing that has a bit of history that could have played out into a more exciting match the six pack challenge match filled with great wrestlers working their arse off and you know the coronation of the next coming of the stars of women's wrestling in terms of Trish Stratus and it kind of got a little bit of short shrift there I like all you here Kyle the cage match really good stuff the other really big high point of this show I think it's watchable as a whole like start to end but really the tag team cage match and the main event are the two things that you can really circle back to and keep enjoying over and over again the main event is really held in high regard as a classic in terms of survivor series matches 
Yeah. It's got lots of the tropes in there. It's a little tired in places. It's a very complicated match, but there's lots of rewarding stuff in there. I would like to highlight The Rock as my standout performer, actually. It's a bit strange how he didn't get any proper promo time or anything like that, but I did kind of appreciate it in a way. It just made him feel like all business, he's the guy that's going to lead the team. He's going to go out and get the job done. He was there from the start of the match, literally the start of the match, to the end of the match. He saved everything, and I don't know. It was just nice when there might have been some dissension from the crowd at the start and he just got in there and wrestled and everything felt fine again and you know he just got a pretty good baby face moment out of this and yeah i think he was the highlight of the main event which of course was the highlight of the show yeah that leaves us with a lot to process naturally i wanted to follow up on this so i was asking Kyle for a tape of the next night on Raw, which is going to be our next episode on the Tape Trader Diaries. It's WWF Raw from November 19th, 2001. All of the fallout from the invasion collapsing. So that's what we've got lined up for next time. That is something to look forward to. And we are definitely going to make sure that there isn't a six-month gap between <laughs> these episodes. We will make sure that we are throwing them out a little more often for you all. Yeah, lots have settled down again now, so we can hopefully get into a good rhythm for you guys. Yeah. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. Or give us a like on Facebook to follow when our next episodes are incoming. And on Twitter especially, to see us joke about a bit. Give us a follow on SoundCloud or on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating or a review to highlight us in the algorithms and yada, yada, yada. And catch up with all of our previous episodes. The easiest place to go and do that is on our SoundCloud page where I've made a playlist of all of our past episodes, as well as a playlist of all of my guest appearances on the Raw is Nitro podcast. I recently recorded with Lee looking at the final week of October 1999 Thunder and Smackdown shows they are a hoot there's some writers from New York who turn up and boy does it ruffle some feathers so be sure to check that out and we look forward to being back with you in the near future with the Raw After Survivor Series 2001 so in the meantime it's a goodbye from Kyle thank you very much I will see you shortly it's a goodbye from me. I catch you down the road. <laughs>